Hello, everyone, and welcome to Celtic Preacher Podcast 167. Today, we're looking at what we avoid. What we avoid. We can learn a lot about ourselves by paying attention to what we avoid or what we have little time for. It's like, do you go out of your way to avoid particular people or listening to particular perspectives? You know, as we grow up, a big part of growing up uh, emotionally and spiritually is, is, of course, figuring out who we are and we decide what we like and what we don't like. And, and a lot of that is, of course, influenced by where we were raised and it's influenced by our family of origin, isn't it? So if I grew up, if I grew up in a family that likes football and listens to country music, there's a good chance that I will too. Or if I was raised with opera playing in the background, there's a good chance that that has influenced me in some way. How my parents voted may influence me. Uh, What kind of food they ate, or how they expressed themselves, or their social skills, or their lack of social skills. All these things have an effect upon us don't they, as we grow up, our friends, our school, our church, if we're part of a church, our neighborhood, all these things sort of shape us in some way or another. And uh, so we, we come, you know, by the time we're young adults, we have all these learned likes and dislikes. And we bring these learned likes and dislikes into our spiritual lives, into our emotional life. And one thing that you will notice is, before too long, is that Jesus, in his teaching, uh, constantly chips away at our personal bias. Now, when I say personal bias, I just mean in the sense that a personal bias is something that we simply assume to be true because it's my bias, so I assume it's true, right? Uh, And the disciples, of course, were like us. They didn't call it a personal bias in those days, but they had their their thoughts and their understanding, and they, of course, believed thousands and thousands of years ago that they were the chosen people. Uh, They were part of of God's chosen people, and which meant that, of course, there was a whole other group of people that weren't chosen. And today... The narrative is in regard to a woman from Samaria, different country, different religion, and certainly someone that the disciples would say is definitely not a part of the chosen. So personal bias, yeah, it's something that Jesus this, we encounter this a lot in his dealings with people. So all these things uh, influence the way that we think about ourselves and the world, how we were raised, where we were raised. And it's not so much learning how to get rid of our bias. I think it's more about learning to be aware of our bias 
so that we can pivot when necessary and rethink a decision or an approach to a person, a conflict, a relationship. You know, we're just sort of entering in with a clean slate rather, rather than have our mind all made up before we enter into a relationship or a situation or a decision. Because what Jesus does is in these stories is, is that he, he constantly calls into question our presuppositions. He's constantly calling it into question. The things that we take totally for granted, Jesus again and again in his encounter with people questions, oh, are you sure about that? Are you sure you're understanding this person correctly? Are you sure you know what this person is thinking or not thinking? And, uh, you know, when it happens, you know, when, when our bias is confronted, it can feel a bit like we're shaken a bit because it's unbalancing. Sometimes the scripture causes us to feel a bit shaky and unbalanced because it's like, well, I always thought that that was true. And then the Spirit of God comes along and says, no, 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 it's not true. You're not thinking properly. This isn't a helpful perspective. This needs to be changed. And ultimately, of course, that leads to freedom and it helps us to become stronger. But, you know, upon when you first notice it, it can make you a bit shaky. So anyway... Today, we're looking at a passage in John's Gospel. It's, it's commonly known as the, the woman at the well. And it's something that happened to Jesus as he's traveling along and he travels with his disciples. In fact, when this happens, his disciples, I think, are, are off shopping. <laughs> so this happens when he's alone. It's midday and he comes to a well and he asks a woman for a drink of water. Now, when we first hear this, okay, it's about Jesus, and he meets this woman, he asks for a drink of water. Upon first reading, this means there's no big deal. It doesn't mean anything to us. But when we look at it in the context, 2,000 years ago, this is kind of a shocking thing. Uh, it's not shocking to our Western ears because there's no big deal about a man asking a woman for a drink of water to us. But 2,000 years ago, remember the culture, men did not speak to women. Uh, actually, there's still some countries in the world today where this is the case, right? Um, not only did men not speak to women, but Jesus is from the Jewish tradition, and this woman is from Samaria. Different country, different religion. They had some similarities, by the way. Their faith tradition wasn't completely different, but it was different enough that there was animosity between the two groups. So there's this long prejudice between the ancient Jews and the ancient Samaritans. So the fact that Jesus would actually begin a conversation with a Samaritan woman, uh, very, very surprising, very, very shocking, and actually she's very surprised too. 
So right at the front end of the story, we can see that this is going to be an encounter that changes the disciples' understanding of life as well as the woman. I mean, everybody's they've never come across this before. What in the world is Jesus doing? So right at the front end of the story, before I even tell you the story, it just tells us here that certain encounters in our lives with certain people and certain events can change the course of our lives. So the story begins from John 4. Jesus is thirsty, he's tired, comes to a well, and he asks a woman for a drink. And she is shocked that this rabbi would even speak to her. And she, and she says, what, what are you doing? How can you ask me for a drink? I mean, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. How can you even ask me? And Jesus, similar to what he did last week with Nicodemus, gets right to the heart of the matter. And Jesus said, if you knew who was speaking to you, you would ask for living water and you would never thirst again. Now, she's very intrigued by this, but she's not exactly sure what he's talking about. And like Nicodemus last week, uh, she takes him literally. And she says, well, what is this living water? Well, what is this water you drink in you and you never ever thirst again? She's thinking, that'd be great. I'd never have to come to the well again. And Jesus is speaking about a different kind of thirst altogether. He's speaking about a thirsting, a need, a desire that can never, ever be satisfied by the things of this world. Certainly not well water. And, and remember, water and spirit are closely aligned in Scripture. You know, when you speak about living water, we're also talking about the energy of God, the life force of God, talking about the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is really saying, you know, if you know who you were speaking to, you would ask for living water and it would change your life. You would never, ever thirst again because you would be quenched at a deeper level than you've ever, ever had before. And But anyway, at this point in the story, the woman really doesn't understand what he's talking about. And she says, well, give me this water. I'll have some. And Jesus says, well, go get your husband. And she says, well, I don't, I don't have a husband. And Jesus replies, you're right. You've had five. You've had five. And the present one, you never married. Now, we really don't know our history. We don't actually know what happened to the five husbands. Traditionally, she's assumed to be of dubious character. Uh, but at the end of the story, she has such a compelling story that the whole village believes what she says. And she's not just dismissed by the community. So there's a couple of ways you can, you can read her history. Why has she had five husbands? Why is that? Well, it's possible that she's had tragic misfortunes. It's, it's possible that she's had lots and lots of grief and that one of her relatives has taken her in, one of her, the brothers, of, uh, which was one of the common practices. By the way, 
In these days, if you were a woman, your husband died, uh, one of the men in the family, the brothers in the family, brother of your husband, would take you on if you were a woman and become your husband and basically look after you because you were, as a woman, totally dependent on your husband at that time 2,000 years ago. So we really don't know for sure why she's had five. Uh, it could be she's had a lot of tragic misfortunes or could be the classic wild woman, immoral, woman with lots of, you know, wildlife, gone through many of her husbands. Um, but I don't know. It's not, it doesn't really say that, you know. I mean, as I said, you'll often hear this when you, when you hear this in, in sermons and teachings and in churches. She's often viewed as, you know, here's a wild woman. Here's a prostitute. Here's, you know, somebody who's uh, just going through her men and getting out. But mm, not necessarily. Could be, could be. But it also could be some sort of really difficult life that she's had. But whatever her background, this is even more important, whatever her background, Jesus enters into a long conversation with her. And, you know, for a rabbi to do that, well, first of all, rabbis didn't do that 2,000 years ago. But if they were to enter into a long conversation with a man, it would, it would be, a, it would be a, a sign of respect. We're, we're meeting together as equals. We're discussing things as equals. I respect you. You respect me. So just that we get these glimpses at the front end of the story that he's asking her for a drink. Yeah, I'm, I, can, I can accept the cup that you give me. I'm not, you're not unclean to me. I know all about the, the religious laws about not taking any food from Samaritans. I'm not really concerned about that here. I want to spend some time with you. And yes, if you give me a drink of water, I'll receive it from you. Um, so a lot of this is going on. A lot of this, a lot of signs that are uh, moving toward, I want to hear you. I know you, I accept you. And when Jesus tells her that he knows all about her life and her history and her husband's and whatever else, he's still interested in hanging around. He's not put off in the least. And then there comes this long theological discussion that they both have by the well. And they talk about their different beliefs and she believes that the true place to worship is in Samaria and the ancient Jewish custom was is that the true place to worship was in Jerusalem and Jesus says, well, you know, everybody's really missing the point. It's not really about physical location. God's spirit, God's spirit. And uh, God's not limited to Samaria or Jerusalem for that matter. And the story ends with Jesus actually revealing to her who he is, which he's never, ever, ever done before. 
And basically the end of their conversation, he says, yeah, you know, I'm the one, I'm the one that you've been waiting for. I'm the Messiah, the one that you've been waiting for. He's never, ever done this before. He never, ever revealed his identity to anyone before. So after this lengthy, in-depth personal conversation and then this theological conversation, after that, the disciples return from their shopping trip and they are shocked, absolutely horrified to see Jesus standing at this well, speaking to her. And so now it's the disciples' turn to have their world turned upside down. It's like, what are you doing? Why are you talking to her? You know, she's a woman. She's from Samaria. She's unclean. She's not part of our group. She's not part of the chosen. What are you doing? And they, they're just, I mean, it's just like they just don't understand them. It's almost like if Jesus' parents knew what he did that day, they would be horrified and shocked. The end of the story is, is that the woman is so taken by him, Jesus, that she returns to her village and she tells everyone who she has met. The people actually believe her. So whatever her testimony is, whatever story she has, whatever she is telling them about Jesus, because the text doesn't go into all the bits and pieces of what, what, they, what they say, what she says to her village. But the end result is, is that the village people ask Jesus to stay and teach them more. And he stays over in Samaria for a couple days longer. And presumably, there's, the text is silent, but presumably gives them lots and lots of teachings. Basically stays in forbidden territory, speaking to people that his parents would be horrified if they ever found out that he would speak to them. What was he even doing in Samaria and why would he even be there? We're supposed to avoid that. We're good Jewish people and we would avoid that. So, so many things are challenged in this one simple act of, can I have a drink of water? And the story isn't just simply showing us how Jesus' encounter with the woman changed her, which it did, but it also changed the villagers and it also changed the disciples because everyone's personal bias is shaken up and disregarded at some level. Everything I thought about you isn't what I thought it was, right? Everyone. Everyone has to grapple with the fact that what they thought was true isn't the whole truth. So for the disciples, it would be, well, I thought we were special and we were the chosen people, and I thought we were set apart, Jesus. And by Jesus' action, he's saying, yeah, you are, but so is she. But the disciples said, well, we can't both be chosen. We can't both be special. We can't both have God's favor, right? And by his action, can I have a glass of water? You know, Jesus is saying, disciples, students, it, God is so much bigger than you think. Expand your thinking. 
Don't get tripped up by your personal bias. Don't get tripped up by things that you're fearful about. Don't get tripped up by things you avoid because you don't understand or because they're too new to you. Yeah, the people, the people of Samaria, they thought previous to this that a Jewish rabbi could teach them nothing. And yet here he is, staying on two days and opened up an entirely new way of thinking about God and life and themselves. The disciples expanded their thinking. The Samaritans would say, a rabbi like Jesus, he can't teach us anything. He's Jewish, we're Samaritan. We know our stuff. We know our religion. We're a different race. We're a different religion. We have different ways of doing things. We're right. You're wrong. Yeah, it's like sometimes lessons come from the most unlikely people. Sometimes life-changing lessons come from the most unlikely events or places. Sometimes lessons come that change our life. There are things that we have tried to avoid because, you know, an ancient Jew would really try to avoid Samaria. They would take another route and bypass it. I mean, that's how bad it was. That's how bad the racial tension was. They would not go there. They would go a longer trip so as to not pass through that region than go into that region to people that they didn't like, didn't approve of, thought were unclean, thought could teach them nothing, you know? So you see the whole story, you get the point here, that the whole story is full of images of crossing over to unknown territory. Boundaries are disregarded. Right? So the religious barriers are disregarded. They're just disregarded for Jesus. Ancient Jews, ancient Samaritans, Jesus would say, I'm not concerned about that. What I'm concerned about is that you know the spirit of truth. Ancient barriers, gender, and actually up-to-date barriers, right? Because these are still, we still have racial tensions. We still have religious tensions. The newspapers are full of gender tensions. All, all this, all, well, slightly different nowadays, but again, the tension's there, right? Jesus would say, I'm not, I'm not concerned about religious barriers. I'm not concerned about gender barriers. I'm not concerned about race barriers. I, I'm not really interested in labels at all for Jesus. Uh, for Jesus, it's like, I'm not really interested in your labels. I know that people have labels. I know that countries have labels. Uh, but for Jesus, when you see him in these narratives, he disregards the present norm, always. Couldn't care less about your labels. For Jesus, it's always the same thing. I want you to know, I want you to know, woman, at the well, I want you to know that you are completely and utterly known to God. And furthermore, 
Not only are you completely and utterly known, but you are completely and utterly loved. You will never be any more loved than you are right now. So let's sit down by the well. Let's have a chat. You give me a drink of water because I want to spend time with you. I want to spend time with you. Now, can you imagine a God like that? Can you imagine a God like that? And the, the reason I say that is, is because I don't think many people do imagine a God like that. I think that many people imagine a God to do the opposite of that. I think that many people would imagine a God that would not approve or like them very much at all if God could really see on the inside what was going on. Well, of course God can see what's going on on the inside, right? Of course God can see way beyond all the labels and barriers that we put up. I think that God is constantly using challenges, people, events, conflicts to shake us up a bit so that we can get a broader, wider perspective in who God is. See, because once we, once we begin to see that this is a Jesus that sits down by a well and wants to have a chat because he really wants to spend time with you, that's kind of a different concept of God altogether. That you are fully known and fully loved. It's like, okay, that's where we start. That's our beginning point. Now, this, is our, this is the foundation of our relationship. Here's a way of saying it in human terms. Okay, before you've done anything at all, right? Before you've done anything, this is where we're starting our relationship. You need to know you're fully loved and fully accepted, okay? After that point, yeah, you can, you can come and, and follow me and together, uh, you know, there's going to be lots of challenges and there's going to be lots of growth and sometimes there's going to be some feelings of discomfort and conflict because it's hard to change and it's hard to grow. But know this, no matter what is going on in your life and whatever growth is happening, it's got nothing to do with the fact that God has changed in any way toward us. Jesus models this time and time and time again. Always. Whatever we're going through, whatever challenges, the things that we avoid, yeah. Jesus would say, pay attention to the things that you avoid. Pay attention to the things that you absolutely resist with all your being because there might be a lesson there and it may well have to do with freedom, freeing us up more to be the people that God has called us to be, walking in freedom, walking in love, not so bound up by fear, not so bound up by prejudice, not so bound up by avoidance, 
not so bound up by stresses that we find in this life. And that's the prayer, that's the heart cry. You know, as I think about this text, the prayer and the heart cry, God, help me just see you as someone that I can sit down next to the well, have a drink of water, have your full attention, and you look at me and tell me I am fully known and fully loved. There's the prayer. There's the heart cry. Thank you for joining me. You have been listening to Celtic Preacher. Join with me again next week for another episode.